Today on Ag News Daily. I mean, I think what you're looking at is you kind of had a bull flag formed in the bean market. The wheat markets rallied to five and a half month highs. The corn markets languished a little bit. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I know you've been missing us. Of course, my name is Delaney Howell, one of the co-hosts, joined by Mike Pearson. Mike, did you have a good holiday? Did you have a good Christmas, I should say? I did. It was really nice. It was good. Mom came to Chicago, so we got to spend some time in the city, and uh, it was good. I had some prime rib, Delaney. What was your meal situation? Let's see. I had turkey, ham, and I think that was it. Were the two main okay, meats so no we beef. had. No beef, actually. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it. But I've had plenty of steaks this week to make up for it. That a girl. That's what we like to hear. Yes, of course. Well, I tell you what. We were off the air last week, as I'm sure listeners are aware. There was not a whole lot happened anyway in the world of agricultural news. And we're back at it again this week. But there's not much going on in the world today, Delaney. No, there really isn't. I think a couple of the big headlines that jumped out at me were that did happen i suppose over the holiday break there are first of all dealing with china we saw china's commerce ministry release a statement to their people that said that they have quote proactively dealt with trade frictions we also saw the vice premier lu he has accepted a formal invitation to lead a delegation group to the united states from this Saturday onward, not sure how long they'll be here, but they will be coming here this Saturday where they are expected to officially sign a phase one trade deal. And I think that will be welcomed news because as we know, starting January 1st, we are going to see China lower tariffs on a couple of really important products. Most importantly, probably for our listeners would be frozen the frozen pork products, chicken, and actually avocados has been a big one that they said they are going to lower their market or lower their tariffs on. And we will see the first shipment of U.S. chicken to be sent to China in years arriving in January. Wow. Wow. So we're making progress. We are making some Sorry, progress. I had a little bit of a yawn there as well as I was talking. But no, it is very exciting to see that this phase one deal finally, hopefully, getting signed you said saturday well we are going to see delegation here saturday so it is very possible that we see it signed this weekend into early next week mike all right well in other news china is kind of running the table on headlines today they did announce that they are going to release more frozen pork from their state reserves they have released about sixty thousand pounds or sixty thousand tons of pork rather uh since this uh ASF really started to spread in the country of China. Now they are saying they're going to drop more of this frozen pork onto the markets, but they didn't say how much tonnage uh, they're going to put out there. Um, But they do say that pork prices are staying very high Mm -hmm. in China. So continuing to incentivize folks to import probably more American protein. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're not, so I guess to backtrack just a little bit, Mike, I think they're doing this part because they are dropping tariffs on U.S. pork, but we're not going to see that huge of a drop. We're only going to see 
tariffs drop about 5%. They're currently sitting at about 72%, and we're only expected to see them drop down to 68 to 67%. So I'm guessing that's probably why they need to still release that pork that is in their reserves. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And even with uh, even with these frozen pork, you know, offerings going onto the market, the price of pork in China is still astronomical. There was another mm-hmm. report that uh, Vietnam's pork price has surged another 7% week over week as African swine fever continues to uh, hit that country. So overall, the Southeast Asian area is just seeing a tremendous impact from African swine fever, and their consumers are really feeling it. They definitely are, Mike. Switching tracks, so to look at U.S. consumers, we have talked about this a lot on the podcast, and that's just the labeling that goes on, especially in the protein industry. We saw the USDA add some clarification this week to labeling requirements for meat and poultry products, including things like grass-fed antibiotics and hormones. So under the new guidance that was released by the FSIS, beef cannot be labeled as grass-fed unless the cattle were fed on grass or forage 100% of the time after being weaned. So that was a little bit of clarity that we saw there because as we've discussed before, we've seen people label things as grass-fed, which can lead the consumer astray thinking, okay, this cow only ate grass when in reality it's okay. Maybe they had access to grass or they ate grass part of their time. So the USDA added some clarification to that. They also added some clarity about how to label things if perhaps a cow does have access to grass, but that's not the only thing that they eat. So for example, a label could read, Quote, made from cows that are fed 85% grass and 15% corn. So that's another interesting angle that they have had there. And they also clarified certain organic products such as raised without antibiotics, no added hormones, vegetarian diet, no animal byproducts, non-GMO, and humanely raised. So they published that in the Federal Register as of last Friday. So if you'd like to check out what some of those terms mean a little bit more in depth, you can do that by looking at the Federal Register. But it's nice to see some clarity being added here as we continue to see more choices come on the pipeline for consumers. Yeah, you know, it is. It's interesting that, I don't know. I I don't know. It's good. Yeah, it's good. I think it's a good a step in the right direction. I guess if we're going to have mandated labels, they right. might as well be accurate. So, Correct. yeah, I would just prefer to see the market sorted out. Let mm. people find a premium for however it is they're choosing to raise their animals, market it that way, and, you know, cash the check. Yeah, and I think that people can still do that. They're just adding some clarity and making folks take that extra step of, okay, if you're going to be grass fed, you need to be 100% grass fed. Right. Yeah. Right. Which I guess I guess is fitting. Right. Interesting. Well, I did get news that in China, so I'm going back to China with my uh, Chinese, uh, you know, headlines for the day. They have announced that they are going to commercially certify um, domestically grown, genetically modified crops. They've got one soybean variety and two corn varieties. And this is a big move because China has been pretty anti-GMO for a considerable, considerable amount of time. Their consumers are not really on board with genetic engineering. And uh, so the idea that perhaps using their homegrown um, 
crops, maybe this will get more Chinese, more of the Chinese public in favor of uh, GMOs. Well, that would be good news and open up some marketplaces for us for sure. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be China's first uh, genetically modified soybean crop. And I believe it is their first corn crop as well, but I'm, I'm not sure about that one. Okay. Well, it's good. I think, I think that really they have to produce something like that first before they really are going to be extremely open to importing it from elsewhere. Right. And I think, I think a lot of us, and Delaney, I know you were part of this uh, chorus as well when, when China bought uh, Syngenta. We mm-hmm. kind of figured that this was going to maybe signal a move towards more genetic approvals in that country, and it certainly seems like it might be. It certainly does seem that way, Mike. Well, I have just one other piece of news here as we continue to see Congresses shut down. I believe they come back next Monday or end of this week. But we still continue to see them meeting with their constituents on the home front, including Senator John Hoven, who met with some farm group leaders in Fargo over the weekend to discuss specifically looking at implementing that new disaster aid payment that we saw just released and approved by the fiscal 2020 budget, as well as some potential crop insurance issues. And nothing really new to report there other than there was a couple of producers interviewed, and I just thought this was interesting point to bring up, but to be eligible for things like the WIP Plus payment, which are that disaster aid package, you have to already have insurance. And so one producer said that those producers or farmers that are self-insuring are then forced to pay back in to get access to the dis- this disaster aid package by buying crop insurance in the subsequent two years to be eligible for the WIP Plus payment. So I'm not sure I understand that. I get that you have to have insurance to qualify. That's how I'm sure they're yep. certifying the acres that are damaged. But if you don't have it, you can get the WIP payment, but then you have to buy crop insurance Correct. for the next two years? Yep. Interesting. Okay, so there is a way for uninsured farmers to get yeah. the payment. They just have to be willing right. to pay for crop insurance the next two years. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well... Nothing from the government is, uh, you know, really free. no strings attached. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Well, I hope that uh, Senator Hoban was able to get around North Dakota safely. Of course, they were yes. slammed by a tremendous blizzard. And uh, we saw that moving the markets last week was kind of the only thing that really brought some excitement into the grain markets in such a quiet trading week. But Delaney, I'm all out of news. What do you say? Should we see where the markets close before we jump into our Market Monday conversation? Well, Mike, I think that we should get to the markets, and of course, they are sponsored by our partners at agmarket.net. We're going to be talking to Jim McCormick of agmarket.net, but they have a great new app that has launched recently, and you can get quotes, charts, track your farms, P&L, and grain sales with the agmarket.net app, so we encourage you to check that out. Yes, indeed. Check it out because markets are always moving. And today we've got mixed trade on the grains with corn down, beans up big on the day, and wheat slightly lower. In the corn contracts, March was down one and three quarter cents at 388 even. The May contract also down one and three quarters to close at 395 even. In soybeans, January up nine and a half cents, closed the day at 939 even. March up 11 and a quarter to finish at 952 and three quarters. In wheat, the March contract down one and a quarter pennies at 555 even. The May down half a cent to finish at 558 even. Looking over at the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in the cattle complex with uh, 
Actually, scratch that. We're all down in cattle. February contract live cattle down 27.5 cents at 126.4250. April down 10 at 127.6750. In feeder cattle, the January contract dropped 12.5 cents to close at 145.42 half. The March down 30, finishing at 144.50. And move to the upside in lean hogs. The February contract up $1.22.5 at 71.80. And the April up 75 cents to close at 78.62 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market in class three milk, the December contract, which is expiring, actually has expired, so we'll skip that one. January up three cents on the day at 17.13, and February up 16 cents to wrap it up at 17.29. Without further ado, let's kick it off to our discussion with Jim McCormick. Well, as promised, we are joined by a new voice today, Jim McCormick, who is a strategist for the agmarket.net team. Jim, we're very excited to have you on today. Before we get into the nitty gritty of what's moving the markets, can you just share with us a brief background about your work in the commodity markets? Um, my work in the commodity markets, I graduated from Purdue University and back way back in 1994 with an ag business management degree. I went to work for a company called Central Soya as a grain buyer in a meal and soybean seller. Did that for about a year, and then I got involved in the commodity industry in about 1995, and I've been in this industry ever since. And then about a year ago, uh, January, we formed this agmarket.net team with myself, Bill Biederman, Brian Split, and Matt Bennett. Well, that is very neat, and we love talking to Matt and Brian, so we're excited to have you join us as well. We think there's some great folks over there at the agmarket.net team, but Jim, I, I got to kick things off today with what's going on in the soybean market. Is this just some added optimism ahead of the January 10th report, or is there something else moving today's soybean markets? Well, I think right now is a little bit technical. We saw the market sell off uh, late last week on a little bit of profit. It kind of gave the market a technically weak signal. Delaney, we took out the previous day's highs and took out and closed below it. So that technically got people a little bit correct, a little bit nervous of maybe we're going to step into harder correction. But then we had absolutely zero follow-through. So I think the technical buyers came back today on a Monday and bought it, as well as um, trade optimism. It looks like we have got a done deal by all accounts from Washington as well as China. Uh, they will be flying over this weekend to actually sign this uh, phase one trade deal. And that just has the trade optimistic that you're going to see some purchases being announced sooner than later in the bean market. So where do you think beans can go from here, Jim? I mean, we, this is a nice turnaround today, 10 cents in that January, what, 11 in the March. How much more can this, uh, this spring market run here ahead of that January 10th report? You know, I, I'm hopeful for maybe another 20 cents. If you look at the March as your front month contract with Jan and delivery starting this week, you get up to 970, Mike, back in October. And I think that would probably be the high end at this point in time. You know, A, we want to actually see China buy. B, we've got, this, like I said, we've got this big January report that we, you know, let's face it, the government is throwing a lot of curveball at the trade's heads this summer where we thought it'd be bearish, it was bullish, or vice versa. So, I would think that you get up toward that level, you're going to see a lot of producers step up to the plate and maybe try to let some of these beans go. And I would guess, you know, the bulls may kind of wait and just see what actually plays out. So maybe 20 more cents would be the most I'd look for, at least before the report on the 10th. 
And looking at the report on the 10th, I don't want to ask you yet your numbers, but I'm sure we'll get to that. But Jim, do you see either right ahead or right after this January 10th report, do you see a lot of grain flooding into the marketplace if we see favorable prices? I, I think right now you probably will see some of the grain move in. I, I'm a little bit more leery thinking, Delaney, that the corn may move a little bit quicker than the beans. Part of the reason by that is just the quality of this crop. There's just this was not a well, you know, the quality of it. I guess it's just very poor test weight problems, a lot of foreign matter in it. And I know a lot of customers are very leery about being storing this grain into the summer. So I think as we do get a decent push into that report or even after the report, I think you will see producers let that go. And I'm encouraging guys to do that. The basis is still quite strong in a lot of parts of the country. So taking advantage of it, get rid of it, take that quality risk out of your hands. If you want to re-own paper, there's plenty of option strategies you can re-own at relatively cheap. Uh, you know, if China does come through and uh, makes a big grain ag purchases like everyone's hoping for. Well, let's talk about the corn market then a little bit. With the March at 388, the May there at 395, that $4 line looks tantalizingly close. Jim, can we get back above it? I think we can. I mean, I think what you're looking at is you kind of had a bull flag formed in the bean market. The wheat markets rallied to five-and-a-half-month highs. The corn markets languished a little bit. We've kind of stalled out here for, what, eight, nine days in a row. I think eventually we'll break above that 390 level. We'll make a quick move to four which is a psychological number, will stall out. But I think the real target will be the 406 level, which is a 200-day moving average on the March contract. That stopped us on the October bounce when the market got up to 411. So that 406 to 411 is the zone I would look for the market to kind of stall out at. And then uh, wait and see if, A, China does come in and buy corn, or B, what the government does with this big USDA report on the 10th. And the 10th is really the, I guess, thing that's kind of stealing the limelight right now but Jim when you look out past that January 10th report what are the big fundamentals or technical things that you're watching after we get through that news cycle well what's going to happen I believe is once we get through the 10th the 10th will just kind of suck all the air out of the market because it's going to be a big report what makes this report big is it's the final production numbers of the year so we have that going on you also get the quarterly grain stock report. Now, we our team believes that this feed number has been off for quite a while. The feed number is quite a bit lower this year than last year, even though we're feeding more livestock. So they tend to make the corrections on those feed and residual numbers after the quarterly grain stock numbers come out. So that could be a big number. So that's why this report is so important. But once we get past that report, then the shift will come, I think, back to what we're looking at in 2020. There's a lot of rhetoric out there. Can we get 95, 96, 97 million acres of corn? So the market will be looking at that, as well as trying to see if China does come through with what we are supposed to see, a lot of buying from the corn market. Because part of the reason, guys, that I think the market will be kind of looking at it is there is a little bit of confusion out of what exactly China has committed to. The Washington has come out and said that they've committed to buy up to, what, uh, $40 billion worth of ag goods a year in 2020, then again in 2021. The Chinese have said they're just committed to buy stuff as long as it's economic feasible. So uh, the trade's excited about the Washington rhetoric, but they're a little bit skeptical that China's going to follow through. If China follows through, that'll garner the market's attention because we'll be essentially shifting from a supply-driven market to more of a demand-driven market, which we haven't seen for a while. Yeah, it has been a long time coming in a demand-driven market, and I want to just jump back to the wheat market for a second, because last week, wheat was the big mover. We put, what, 20, 30 cents on, on the wheat contract, Chicago wheat. 
over the course of last week. On my understanding was a lot of this uh, concern about this winter storm that was approaching. Jim, what was going on last week and week? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, part of it's just what's going on around the world. Um, you've got these fires ravaging Australia, so there's a lot of concern about the Australian crop as they continue to fight drought multiple years. The other thing actually has to do, Mike, with this trade deal. Um, when China joined the World Trade Organization, there were certain tariffs, requirements they were met to allow wheat to be imported into their country. And the fact of the matter is they just weren't following through on those requirements. So for whatever reason, it seems like the market's really, really excited, and they think that when this new trade deal phase one gets done here this weekend or early next week, the wheat market may be one of the things that China comes in and buys relatively quick to try to fulfill those pledges to President Trump as well as pledges to the WTO that they're going to import up to nine, nine and a half million metric tons of wheat. And for whatever reason, that mar- that story really caught hold of the market's attitude last week, and I think that was part of the fuel of the wheat rally. So, Jim, wheat usually, I mean, there's that saying that it's every couple of months somebody is harvesting or planting wheat somewhere around the world. Is there really that much more of a window that we could see higher here in the wheat market with all that being said with the production going on in other countries? I you're right. I think there's. I think the fact is, like, literally, I think we pl- we harvest wheat somewhere in the world, all but maybe one month of the year. I think it's like February. So no, I would say, in general, this wheat market's probably going to get to the higher end of the range. This March wheat contract back in the summer got up toward that 575 level. I would think that would pretty much top us at this point in time, unless we come out of the springtime with a huge problem, production problem in the United States. Because the fact of the matter is, there still is plenty of wheat in the world. The one thing, though, guys, to keep an eye on the wheat market that could keep us a little bit more in play longer is the U.S. dollar. Because the wheat market is so much competition around the world. If this dollar starts to break, and it's holding critical support today, but if it would start taking out critical support and start breaking, that makes our wheat more competitive. Heck, it makes our everything we produce more competitive, beans, corn, cattle, hogs, you name it. And that will help drive demand there. So that's what we need to watch. But realistically, I'd say another 20, 25 cents, and that's probably going to stop the wheat until we see how our winter wheat crop looks coming out of dormancy. Well, let's jump over and chat just briefly about the livestock markets. Um, Again, quiet trade for the past week, pretty well across the board. As you look at the lean hogs in particular, is that just a market that's waiting for, again, proof on China actually coming through with some purchases? I believe that's what it is, Mike. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, when we first had this story about the African swine flu hitting China, the market just exploded higher on this huge demand shift that the trade was going to anticipate China to come into the marketplace. And the fact of the matter is we ramped up production a lot quicker than what the demand actually could take it, overproduced it, drove the market down to these prices as everyone's frustrated about. But the fact of the matter is that demand that the trade expanded supply on has yet to come to complete fruition. I think it will. The fact is, China, they're talking having to buy 3 to 5 million metric tons of pork to meet their demand. Think about it. 1 million metric ton of pork we produce, that's roughly about five weeks of production in the United States. So they come in and buy like the trades anticipating it. That supply will be taken up, and that should drive the market up. The other thing to kind of keep a mind on, guys, is what's going on in the rest of Asia. Vietnam supplies have dropped something like nine months in a row as they're fighting this African swine flu problem. 
And then you also have this problem. Indonesia has got it now. China actually banned the sale of pork into their country from Indonesia now because of that swine flu. So the fact is it's not just a problem in China. It's a problem across all of Asia. Luckily, we do not have it here. We have the pork to provide the world for the supply of the world. So I think you've had, if, you're, if you're friendly pork like I am, I, I think you've got to be op- optimistic going into 2020. Jim, what about the cattle complex? Are you optimistic that we will continue to see this engine churn higher? I, I do think it's going to go a little bit higher. I do think, you know, if you're a producer, you can't, you know, you might consider buying puts just as a precaution because we've had a phenomenal run. But overall, I mean, China, I believe, they're not just going to buy pork. I do believe they'll probably come in here and buy some cattle as well. And if the pork market does start taking, they do start taking some of our pork off of our shores, that's just less competition for the cattle at the, at the local grocery store. So I think overall the demand looks strong. The stock market's hanging here at all-time highs. So I think if you're involved in the cattle industry, you should be a little bit optimistic going into the wintertime. Not to mention, we're still very early into winter. Plenty of times we have these snowstorms that come across the plains. We had it, well, This one kind of missed the major portion of the cattle belt this past weekend, but more likely we have more two big storms coming that will also help support this cattle market into the wintertime. Well, Jim, well, Jim, tell us, how can our listeners get in touch with you for your insight? Well, if they want to reach me, they can reach me at 815-665-0461, or they can reach any one of the agmarket.net uh, brokers at 844-424-6758. Fantastic. Jim McCormick with agmarkets.net. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. No problem. Thank you, guys. Anytime. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. Well, again, a big thank you there to Jim of the agmarket.net team. And thanks again to agmarket.net for sponsoring today's episode. Folks, if you'd like to listen to any of our past episodes, though, maybe you missed us hearing us last week and like to catch up on the Ag News Daily podcast, you can find us at agnewsdaily.com or you can always listen to any of our past episodes on the iTunes app, the Google Play app or Stitcher, Spotify and SoundCloud. That is correct. And as always, find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we'll be there. With that, Delaney, should we wish our listeners a happy new year and see them in 2020? We will see you all in 2020. (laughs) 